and you may be seated. Well, over the last month or two, since Jonathan jilted us and left, I'm uh, just joking, I've asked, um, you know I love Jonathan, um, since he's left and he went to a different church, I've been asking you to, to be in prayer as we seek to find God's man for filling that staff position. And so uh, I pray that you've been faithful in doing that, and I'm happy to say that God, as always, has been faithful, and I believe that he has directed the elders of Celebration Baptist Church. And by elders, I mean, of course, myself. I mean, Dan, speaking of Jimmy, speaking of um, uh, Gary, and as well as Ronnie, that he has led all of us to believe that, that we've found God's man to fill that particular position. And uh, so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to introduce you to him. He's in the building as we speak. Look around, wonder who that might be. Um, uh, he is here with us today, and um, then what I'm going to do is next week, you're going to hear more from him. We're going to do kind of like an interview type process and letting you hear his heart and his vision, his call to ministry on his heart. Uh, then the following week, as, as to our Constitution and Bylaws, we're going to go ahead and vote on him. That will give you two weeks to pray and to seek God to see if this is what you believe, just like the elders do, believe that this is the direction in which God is leading us. But before I introduce him this morning, what I really want to do is uh, I really want to share with you our vision here at Celebration. I want to talk about our vision because in understanding our vision, it's going to make more sense of why we're going in the direction that we're going with this particular staff member, with this particular elder that we're seeking to call and be a part of Celebration. So there's four things I kind of want to do, and we're going to work through them rapidly. The first thing is I want to share the vision. Uh, Why are we here? What are we doing? What are we all about. I want to share with you this morning our methodology of how we believe that God is leading us to fulfill that vision. If you have a purpose, you've got to have a way of kind of meeting that and fulfilling that. The third thing that I'm going to do is just kind of touch on and and tell you who it is that we're asking to come and fill that position. And then what we're going to do is we're going to share just a little bit how I believe that he's going to help us to be able to fulfill that mission. And then the last thing I'm going to do is talk about you. And your role in fulfilling the vision that God has called for us here at Celebration. And what does it look like when all of us get our act together and we begin to function as the church? Does that sound good? All right, let's look at, first of all, the vision. Our vision statement here is very, very simple. Very simple because I'm a simple guy. Amen? Uh, I'm simple, and here it is. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. You get that? I don't want you to miss it. I see you kind of looking around. You're looking around, you're not paying attention to the, to the reason why we're here, the reason why the church exists, why Celebration Baptist Church exists, is we exist to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. Will you, will you say that with me? We exist to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something very difficult and memorize something. That sentence, will you memorize that sentence? Will you come and somebody comes up to you and says, what are you guys all about? And other than Jesus, what are you about? Say, well, we exist. The reason celebration is even there is we're there to glorify God and to make disciples of all nations. That's what Celebration Baptist Church is all about. It's not about getting jiggy with it. It's not about, you know, getting my groove on in worship. It's we're here to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. Now, that's going to break down in three parts. This is where it gets more difficult, but just bear with me. You know me, I've got to be more difficult. I've got to make simple things more difficult. And here they are. It breaks down in three things. First of all, our purpose, we exist to glorify God. 
Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 6 through 7 says, I will, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You want to know why you exist? You exist to glorify God. What does that mean? Very simply, it means, check this out, you were created to love and adore God above all things. That's what you were created for. That's why I was created. That's why we exist here. We exist here to ascribe infinite worth and valuable in value to that which is infinitely valuable to God. Not to love his stuff, but to love him, the creator, not the creation. And that's why we exist. That's our purpose for existing. And that's our purpose for coming together as a body. Uh, the mission then is this, is we seek to glorify God by making disciples. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, you're familiar with it. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you, for lo, I am with you, even to the ends of the age. Okay, so this is what he says. He says, look, I want you to glorify me and bring me glory by making disciples, that is, followers of me. How does that work? Well, how does that bring glory to God? Well, the problem is, is the world is filled with worshipers, but they're not worshiping God. According to Romans chapter 1 and 2, because of our fallenness, because we are born in sin underneath the curse, they are worshiping created things rather than the Creator. And so they, 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 they become blinded in their minds and they see things like, like trees and cars and 401ks as infinitely valuable, but they're blinded to the infinite worth of God. So when you and I, and he says, glorify me by going and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Share this simple message. And it's through this simple message that he goes, I will use to bring life to each individual and they will become a God worshiper. And so what will happen is instead of worshiping created things, they'll worship the one true God. That's how I'll be glorified. So people will begin to glorify me. But now notice this. There's a goal. There's a third part. Making disciples of what? Of all nations. Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 through 10 says this. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and saying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our Lord, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God is not simply the God of the white man. God is not simply a God of America. He's far greater than that. What brings God glory is not just that there will be a multitude of multitudes around the throne of God worshiping him. It's not in the mere numbers. It's in the diversity of the multitude. It's the fact that he's not just a God of one people, but a God of all peoples. A God of all people who speak all different languages, people who are of all different colors, of people who have all different backgrounds. That's what's so glorious about this one and true God. So this is what we do. This is why we exist. Coming to celebration, checking it out, kicking the tires, seeing if you like it or not, wondering what it's about. If you want to be about anything else except for glorifying God by making disciples of all nations, it's just probably not a place you're going you're, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna to connect with, right? But it is what God has called us to. You say, why this vision? Of all the different visions that we could have, like be cool, 
and wear like cool shoes and frilly, you know, collared shirts and things like that. Why, why can't our mission be to be cool? Because it's not God's mission. This is our vision because it's God's vision. God wants to redeem. This is a redemptive plan for mankind. It's his vision. We're just joining him in that vision. Are you all with me? So this is his vision. This is what he desires for us to do. Now, the question comes to this. How do we go about doing it? This is where it gets interesting. But this is what I've learned through the scriptures. What is God given is always God governed. Must also always be God governed. That is, when God tells us to do something, we also have to do it in the way in which He's called us to do it. Are you with us? Are you with me? Now, what's good about this is because He doesn't just tell us to do something and then turn around and sit there and go, Well, good luck with that. I hope you can figure it out. The Word of God teaches us how to do what He's called us to do. Now, how do we go about making disciples? Well, what we find is when we look through the New Testament, there are five essentials for discipleship that keep popping up everywhere. There are five essentials to making and and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You need to get this, okay? Five things. Here they are. Number one, corporate worship. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says one of the ways that you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, God's ascribed way, is by coming together, being together, encouraging each other in the faith. Let me ask you this. How many of you found it hard to really follow Jesus when you end up getting out of church? Going your way, right? He says, one of the ways that you become a disciple, this is an essential, essential part of being a disciple is coming and being a part of the body of Christ. Second thing, the study of God's word. Acts chapter two, verse 43 says this, that the disciples uh, in Acts two, at the beginning of the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That means they submitted themselves to, they committed themselves to the study of the apostles' teachings. What was that? The word of God. And so what we do is you have to be devoted to the study of God's word. Not only being taught the word and teaching the word, but you yourself studying the word of God. Second essential of discipleship. Here's the third one that the Bible shows us is fellowship. Fellowship. Oh, yeah, now you're talking, brother. Fellowship. That's what we like. Acts chapter 2, verse 43, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, this is not just any kind of fellowship. This is koinonia. This is the type of fellowship that only believers can share. Look, there's all kinds of car groups and there's all kinds of lions clubs and moose clubs and all these different kinds of clubs around. But there's something unique about the fellowship amongst God's people. Why? Because when they get together, no matter what they do, whether they're fishing or hunting or fixing a car or whatever, they can't help but for God to be the center of their conversation. They could talk about sports, but eventually, if you're there long enough, guess what's going to rise to the top? Jesus. Conversation about Jesus. So here's a fourth thing that is essential to every believer is evangelism. This is what a disciple looks like. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Listen to me. An essential of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Just the essential is opening your mouth and sharing the gospel with other people. That's what it means to be a disciple. Here's a fifth one, missions. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, we just read that in the beginning. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. 
So what are we doing? Listen, if you, want, if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is what you are a part of. These five things. Corporate worship, studying the word of God, being taught the word of God, teaching the word of God. You are in fellowship with a close-knit group of believers of Jesus Christ. You are, you, you are doing what? You are sharing the gospel with other people, and then you go beyond just sharing with those that are around you. You have a global plan. You have a passion of not only reaching people here, but around the world. For what? For the glory of God. Are you guys tracking with me so far? I know you're bored, but this is just the Bible. I'm so sorry about that. Now follow this, but how do we go about learning how to do these things? When somebody first comes to faith in Jesus Christ, how do they learn how to do all this? How do they understand this corporate worship? How do they understand what true fellowship is supposed to be? How do they understand how to study the word of God? Well, that's where elders come in. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8 that Paul writes that when Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, he left gifts for the world. Those gifts are, we talked about this a couple of months ago, are pastors. He gives a list of them in verse uh, 4, Ephesians 4, 11. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. Now notice this, to equip the saints. Another word for equip is to disciple. He's given them to equip or disciple the saints for the work of the ministry. So he says, you know what? Your shepherds, your elders, your pastors are to lead you in the process of discipleship. They're to lead you and to teach you and to encourage you to take part of those five essentials of what it means and it looks like, looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so here's the key. Because that's our greatest calling, and that's the calling of the pastors and elders of the church, they can be about other things, but they must be about this, these things, these five things. You know, our elders that we talked about, Ronnie, Gary, Dan, Jimmy, and myself, we must understand and live with the weight that we will stand before God on how we made disciples here at Celebration. We will get, Ronnie, you will give an account before God. Dan, you will give an account before God. I hope that there drives in you a holy terror of that. To know that we'll stand before God and he will say, I commanded you to do one thing and make disciples of all nations. I entrusted you with this church. Did you lead them in those five essentials of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Did you do what I asked you to do? And we'll be held accountable. It's interesting because I'll talk with other pastors. I do have friends, whether you believe that or not. And some of them are pastor friends and we like to text and complain after Sunday morning of how we're useless, pathetic pieces of scum and how nobody listened to our messages. And boo, it's really very pathetic, to be, to be honest with you. I wouldn't put anybody through that. And, and one of the things that some of the friends will say, and I, I guess I need to thank God that I haven't had to struggle with this, but they'll sit there and they'll say, man, I'm just so worried about finances right now, or I'm so worried about the numbers, man. I don't, I don't know where like, you know, 10% of or 25% of our church went. Where did they go? And I said, dude, they're at the beach, man. That's, it's vacation. It's a big weekend. They're gone and everything. And let me just honestly say this. I've just never really worried about the money. I, I just never have. Uh, most of the time, I just have to ask, so are we doing okay with the money? And if Dan gives me a thumbs up, I'm like, all right, yeah, that's, that's good. We'll move on. I don't really ask about numbers. The staff will tell you this. I never even say, hey, how many people are you running? You'll never hear me say that. But what keeps me awake at night 
is are we laying out a clear process for discipleship for all of those who have entrusted themselves and submitted themselves to the leadership of this church? Is there a clear process and a clear way to become and take part in those five essentials of discipleship? That's what I stay awake at night thinking about. That's what I stop and think is, are these things, are we, are we, are we cultivating our folks to be disciples of Jesus Christ? That's what I lose sleep over oftentimes. And so the question is, do we have a methodology to be able to do this? We do. We have a way of doing this. And let me just share it with you as, as quickly as I possibly can. Uh, we seek to lead you, because we're called of God, into these five essentials of discipleship through three primary ways. The first is corporate worship. Corporate worship, okay? That's coming together. That's that first thing that we talked about, coming together, and we do that in two ways. First of all, by Christ-centered expository preaching. Now, today is not an example of Christ-centered expository preaching. So I'll repent after I'm done. But what do we mean by expository preaching? What we mean is, I want you to hear the conviction of your pastors, and I want you to hear the conviction of this church. We believe that God speaks primarily to us today through his word. And that when we are careful with the word, when we don't look just to preach some message that will get people fired up, but we preach the context of the passage, when we preach it with the authorial intent of of why we believe the Holy Spirit wrote it, and we just preach it and reoralize that word, we believe it is our conviction that God, God himself is speaking at that moment. And that through his word, he brings life and he brings faith. And so we stick to the word. That's why we do what we do in our worship service. Second is Christ-centered worship. You'll never work with the music worship. We'll never win with this worship thing. Okay, I'm just telling you, I don't know how God's gonna figure it out, but he's gonna figure it out in heaven somehow. Somehow he's gonna play one type of music and everybody's gonna be happy. I don't know how he's gonna do it. I know some of you are still hankering. Some of you are still, man, man, can't we get a banjo up there? Why can't we just get a banjo? I get that. If you play the banjo, maybe we'll invite you. I don't know. All right, I don't know how we're gonna do this. This is all I ask of whoever it is that's leading the worship. Let it be theologically sound and biblically accurate. That's what I want. We don't need to be riled up in the flesh, even though some of you may want that. Man, can't we get something with a beat? Can we just get something in there? Can we just, can? hey, I'm all about getting my groove on, all right? See me in my little truck driving around. That's right, I said truck. Those are driving around. You know, I like to get my little head moving a little bit until my neck starts hurting. It's all good, okay? It's not a problem, but is it theologically sound and biblically accurate? Here's the bottom line with worship. Are we making much of Christ? Is it edifying to him? Or are we showing the beauty and the magnificence of Jesus Christ? That's the call. Second thing, second way that we're making disciples is small groups. Small groups. I don't know if you've ever thought of this before. Did you know that even Jesus was in a small group? And did you understand that our master, our leader, our example, that he chose a small group as the process of discipling people? That's why we do it here. So why do, you do, why do you do small groups? What's up with small groups? Well, there's something that we use. It's called the Bible. And Jesus did small groups. He saw that the best way to be able to cultivate disciples is in a small, manageable group of people. That's what we try to do here. Now, here's a key. I want you to understand this. We do it with two things. Number one, there's community groups. These are small groups. You could be a part of them. They're kind of all over the county. People are meeting together throughout the week, some meeting up here. 
Now, let me, let me describe to you our, our methodology here. Community groups, they're small groups that are seeking to learn and to live God's word together. Now, let me tell you how most Southern Baptists believe that you disciple somebody. It's teaching over time. Just track with me for a second. You just keep teaching a man, and over a period of time, finally they'll get it. Just teach in time. That's not a correct way of discipleship. The correct way of discipleship is learning and living out the truth. It is never your truth until you live out the truth. You could sit back and say, I've heard this, I know this, but until the day that you own it by living it, you're not being the disciple of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? So that's what we talk about, and we have a couple reasons for this. We're talking about the working in, and that means that we... That group learns to love each other, serve each other, care for each other, encourage each other, providing accountability to one another. That's right, I said it, accountability to one another. That means that in our small group, like we just did the other day, we call each other out in love. Brother, there's sin in your life. I'm not so sure you're going down the right path. And let me tell you what's so sickening about small groups. They're hard and they're messy. You know why they're hard and they're messy? is because you don't get to look as nice as you do when you walk in here on Sunday morning and everybody thinks you look so great. Because eventually, you spend enough time with those people, they're going to see what your family at home sees. And what happens is, we have to open ourselves up to that. And it's the hardest thing to do. Because, look, even when you get in that small group, sometimes there's people that are just kind of weird. And a little strange. And there's people that rub you the wrong way. You sit there and go, why does it have to be for that one couple? They, God put that couple there for you. For you. Because what it causes you to do is to die to self. And to quit being about everybody serving you and you begin to serve. That's what happens in our small group. We need to be fighting for the bottom. And when we have this consumerist mentality, when we go to a small group and go, man, I kind of tried it out. But man, I just didn't like it. Why? I don't know. I just didn't say. Dude, you're there to serve, not to be served. And so what, and this is exactly what the word is called us to. God is calling us to. So we're working in, but there's a working out. There's the working together to propagate the gospel together through evangelism and missions. And our small group, we, we bring up, hey, who are you sharing the gospel with, brother? Who, who, who needs to come to faith in your family, your friends? What do you need to do? And we're trying to keep each other accountable for constantly propagating the gospel and even working together in missions, local missions and foreign missions. This is how part of that small group functions. But there's another type of small group that we've recently added in the last year here at Celebration. And that's one-on-one discipleship. And I want you to hear me here very carefully. It's one-on-one discipleship. This is something that God has laid on my heart for a long period of time. We've developed over a long period of time. This is where, and this is what I honestly believe. I'm going to give you a quick story. When I went to seminary, I felt like I got gypped by every pastor that I ever sat under. Because when I went to seminary, the very first thing they began to do is they begin to sit down and teach this thing called hermeneutics, which basically said, this is how you study and you interpret scripture. And I remember going through that going, I've been a believer for over 20 years And nobody ever sat me down to teach me how to open up the Bible and just read it and studying it without me just pulling from what somebody else teaches about that text of Scripture. And I remember feeling gypped. And I remember sitting there going, when I get out of this place, I'm going to teach people how to study their Bible. 
teach them how to follow Christ, to literally sit down with no other book, but to be able to sit there and to be able to read through the scriptures in the same exact process that I was taught to study the scriptures. Why? Because you can't be a disciple without being in the word. And so what have we done? Here's, here's what we do. It's one-on-one. It's a man with a man or a woman with a woman. We've already done it. I've taken four or five guys through it. I've got two more guys, and I'm going through the process. Everybody on staff is doing it, and the guys that I've led through are now looking for more people to take through the same process. It takes about 20 to 25 weeks. I know I lost you right there. You've got to be kidding me, 20 to 25 weeks. You have to read, you have to work, and you're accountable for the work that you do. And you meet one-on-one. And here's what we ultimately do. You learn how to daily study God's word. For the first time, you don't have to say, I don't, know how, I don't understand what I'm reading. For the first time, you are given the tools to sit down to do the hard work, to open up the Bible and do what God has called you to do. It's, it's that, are you with me? I'm not mad, by the way. I'm just passionate. It's an exciting thing. You, for the first time, you get to understand and read God's Word. Second thing, learn how to pray biblically and consistently. These are just essentials to the biblical life, to a life of a disciple, to daily word and daily time and daily time in prayer. It's the third thing, establishing a basic systematic theology. I know that word is so scary. All it is is, this is what it is, teaching you what you believe and why you believe it. Have you ever sat back and go, I don't know what I believe? I don't even know why we believe these things. One-on-one, we take people through that process. Here's another thing. Understanding the gospel in the narrow and the broad sense and sharing it on a regular basis. We one-on-one work with the person so that they can very accurately and eloquently share, not so eloquently, but share accurately the gospel of Jesus Christ. One-on-one, working with them, helping them, encouraging them, and they're flushing that out so that they can be a witness. These are just basic things that God has called us to as disciples of Jesus Christ. And then we encourage them to take part in local and foreign missions by giving and going. And then finally, and here's the most beautiful thing, taking initiative to lead family through the ministry of the word. We're training men to be godly men of their homes. We're giving them the ability and equipping them and discipling them so that they could be the priest of their home to lead their family to faith and onto greater faith in Jesus Christ. Is this not what God has called us to do? We have the process in our church to lead you in that. Here's the third element, the third way in which we seek to do that. And you guys know this if you've been here for any time. It's missions. It's local missions. We're seeking to each of you to get into a local missions that you do at least every month. If you're in a small group, we know that there's that emphasis to keep doing the missions and being part of a mission. We ask, and my goal is for everybody, and we're nowhere even close to this, that every year that you'll dedicate at least a week of your life to do some types of missions project, whether here or afar, our globe. This is what we're asking and pleading and trying to set up and give you opportunities to be able to do. If you're with me, just say amen, nod your head, or do something. Just don't get up and walk out. That would... That'd be very defeating. Okay, this brings us to the third thing. We see what our vision is. We see our process. Do you understand the process? Corporate worship, small group discipleship, missions, local and foreign missions. You, get, you with me? All those three things encompass and really meet the objective of hitting those five essentials of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Is it getting clearer? You're like, really? 
Gosh, I never told that. I'm terrible at communicating these things. That's why we're doing it, okay? Here's the third thing that I promised you that we would do about a staff member of how we're going to bring this person on and how is it going to help us with this. We, as your elders, are very clear, and me especially, is that we could do a far better job of what we've done. Far better job of what we've done. Of making this process clear to you. Of making it so that when a person first comes to the church, they immediately know what celebration is. They immediately are able to find a small group, get plugged into it. They immediately understand that to be a member here, they go through the, 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 the essentials class. And then through essentials class, they know how to fit within our church and what it is that we're trying to do to see if this is what they want to be a part of here at Celebration Baptist Church. They know what's required of them to be members here at Celebration. And what we've realized is, you know what? It's just, if you're here long enough, you get that but it takes a long time. And what we found is people will come and they begin to say things like, it's so hard to connect there. It's so hard to connect. I'm gonna get to that in just a minute, but it's so hard to connect there. And they come for a couple weeks or a couple months and then they just kind of go out their way. What we're looking at is we believe that that's a failure in communication and providing a very clear, a very organized structure and process to be able to lead you through the process of discipleship. Does that make sense? To lead you through that. So when we first began, when Jonathan left, and uh, God rest his soul, when Jonathan left us, Jonathan said, I said, brother, I just want to kind of give you an exit interview. I said, in your opinion, what do you think that we need at Celebration? He said, well, brother, he goes, Mike, he goes, I know your heart. You're about making disciples of Jesus Christ as you ought to be. And he said something I thought was very good. As we began to talk, he says, listen, he goes, I know that there is a propensity for you to drive and to fill this position with somebody just like me to come and lead the worship, take over the worship, and to be able to do the discipleship. And he goes, but the truth of the matter is that's too much work for one individual to be able to do it properly. He goes, I'm not complaining that I had too much work. He goes, I just could not do the discipleship side of it the way that it ought to be. And that's what we're all about. He says, so there's a continual aspect of frustration with me that I can't do what we need to do because the worship is such a, such a big aspect of what we do. And so as I began to hear him and begin to talk with the elders about this, we just came to the point and we said, guys, what are we gonna do? And we began to talk about the fact that God has already blessed us all, all, all the way with, 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 with people right here in our church that are right, at least right now, is being able to help us through this worship process. And we begin to think, and, and I said, what would you say, Jonathan? And he said, man, why don't you talk with the band right now? And why don't you talk with Ashley? Ashley, who's been helping us lead the worship, she went to school for this very thing. She has her, her bachelor's degree in worship of how to put it all together and to be able to lead in a church. And we're sitting there, and I'm a little bit slow, but I finally begin to realize is, listen, this would be an opportunity that we can have our own folks come and to be able to lead in worship. And don't they do a great job? They're doing a fabulous job. Right on, guys, all right? There you go. Because I know somebody's going to say something weird to you afterwards and destroy all that. But so we want to encourage you now, all right? So here's the deal. We, we know that. So God has freed us up to be able to move in a different direction. So what we're doing is we begin to look, and we begin to look at the resumes and begin to call different people. I need to hurry. I'm running out of time. But we need to, we need to call. Uh, you need to listen faster. So we need, to, we need to we begin to look. We begin to get call people, talk with people. Who do you know? And uh, as we begin to work, God kept bringing us back to home. And what we begin to realize is there's a gentleman who was about to leave our church and he was about to go, not because he wanted to, he wasn't mad or disgruntled with me, um, but he was taking a job uh, with Lifeway. And, uh, and he had been in the ministry for many years. He had uh, really worked on staff at three different churches. He'd been part of a church planning process. He had gone to seminary. He had gone to Bible college. He had gone to all these things. Now, it's awesome 
when you're looking for people to place in the staff positions and you don't even have to go outside of your church, God's already provided inside of your church. That's an awesome thing. And it's a demonstration of health within a church. And so there was a gentleman that I just felt led to be able to go and talk with, and his name is Chris Oglesby. Chris is right over there. Stand up, Chris. Chris is right there. And Chris, oh, you got to clap, man. And we, that's pretty cool. And you, you can be seated. Thank you, brother. <laughs> I feel so dorky doing that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and, and what we've realized is, is he is looking at Chris. We feel that Chris is a perfect person to come and to be a full-time discipleship and assimilation pastor at our church. We're working so much in the ministry, we need somebody to work on the ministry. Here's the thing is, guys, I'll tell you this. I'm, I, I'm fine at just casting the vision, preaching the word, but man, I stink at all the administrative kind of details, dotting the I's, crossing the T's, and this is who Chris is. We don't really have those type of people on our staff. Chris is a high-process guy. He's a guy, we're going to talk more about his experience in the best. He's the one that can sit there, take things. I can say, brother, we need help with this. And he is driven by making sure that that is clear and communicated to everybody and getting everybody in the assimilation process and disciples process. It's the way that his mind works. My work doesn't work that way at all. My mind doesn't work that way at all, but his does. So we feel very strong for Chris to be calling he and his family to be able to come. Now, let me say just a few things uh, very quickly, if we can. We, we, um, we do believe that Chris, and I'll talk about this next week. Well, we'll get to Chris since we're running out of time next week. We'll talk about you next week, okay? Just a couple things. Now, what is the outcome of this? I promised four things, so let me give you this fourth thing. When the elders of a church are leading in the way that God is calling them to lead by focusing on making disciples, reaching people for Christ, and follow them through the systematic way of taking them from infancy of their Christian life to maturity in their Christian life. And the elders are focused on that. Now, let me say something to you very quickly. This is a horrible church growth strategy. Horrible. And what I mean is, if we want to build a building, if we want to build a lot of people, get a lot of people coming, this is not the way you want to do it. You, you, got, you guys understand what I'm saying at all? If, if you really want a lot of people come to your church, this is not the strategy you want to take. So I'm just warning you of that, okay? In fact, I think when everybody begins to understand what we're truly about, we're probably going to see less people coming, at least for a period of time, because they're like, really? That's what you're about? There's got to be more than that. We hope that's not the case, but this is what we're trying to do. Horrible church growth strategy, but we're not about building a church because only Christ can build the church. He's called us to be faithful, and we're going to do what God has called us to do. Now, here's the thing. Three things happen. The first thing is, here's the wonderful thing. We become more like Jesus. When we focus on what we're supposed to, listen, and you participate in being the disciple that God has called you to do in those five essentials, you become more like Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4 in verse 13, when he begins to talk about this process of us equipping you, here's the outcome. He says, you will do this and they will be equipped for the ministry, the work of the ministry. Here's the rest of it. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He says, I'm gonna, I want you to be just like my son Jesus. And he says, these are the five ways in which you become more like Christ. Stop and think about it just for a minute. Stop and think about how, what God has used in your life to be more like Jesus. Has it not been corporate worship? Has it not been your own study 
of the word of God? Has it not been in fellowship with close believers who are speaking truth in your life and when you're serving each other? Hasn't it been when, when you were faithful to God to share your faith with other people? Hasn't those been the times when you begin to grow and begin to become more like Christ? I believe it is. Number two, the second result is when we make disciples, we are then obedient. When, when we are disciples or when we become disciples, we then become faithful to make disciples. You can't make disciples without being a disciple of Jesus Christ. That should be clear by those five points. If you're not in the word of prayer, if you're not in corporate worship, if you're not serving the church, each other, if you're not sharing your faith and you're not a part of missions, guess what? You fail as a disciple of Jesus Christ to do the one thing that he has called us to do and to make disciples of all nations of Jesus Christ. Guys, this is so simple, is it not? This is so clear within the word of God. And then there's a third thing, and here's what I want to hit on, and I'll close with this. The third result of living out these five essentials is experiencing God. It's experiencing God. Now, how many of us have said things like this, or how many times have I heard, oh, my spiritual life is so dry. I just feel like God is a million miles away from me right now. I just feel like I have a desire to experience his presence and be in his presence, but I just haven't experienced that. And for such a long time, what am I to do? What am I, how do I do this? Well, let me explain this. It is good to want to experience God. Can I say that to you? It's good. Do you want to experience God? You want, I want to sense his presence. I want to sense his, his love. I want to sense all these. Now, I'm not saying that we're emotionally charged, but I certainly want to be about his presence. Is that not what we're looking for for all eternity and for glory? To be in his presence forever? That's what we want to be able to do. But here's an interesting thing. The question is, how do you get there? Let me tell you what I believe is happening all over the nation. What's happening all over the nation is that people are trying to artificially be a part of experiencing God. And the main way in which people do it is they crank up the music, they get professional musicians, they get everybody they can. It's got to be slick. It's got to be the right environment. Everything's got to be perfect. Everything's got to be smooth. And then you come in and all of a sudden you're just moved emotionally. You guys know what I'm talking about. You're moved emotionally and you're stirred emotionally. And what they're doing is they're saying, hey, we just want to experience God. But here's the sad thing to me, and so many times I see this. They say, we just want better worship. We just want better worship. We just want a better worship. Because they want to experience God. Okay. We said that one of the ways that we experience God is in corporate worship. Amen? Has there been times that your heart has been right and you experience God towards the music? Great thing, awesome thing. We want it. But here's the problem oftentimes. The problem is, is that we are manufacturing that. Because what happens is the way that we experience the presence of God is being a part of the five, you guys, some of you are missing this, is being a part of the five essentials of discipleship. You want to experience the presence of God? You want to experience God in your life? Take part in the five essentials in which he has given you. I'm trying to help you here as your pastor. You're sitting there, I'm not experiencing How are you doing on the five essentials? How are you doing with that? Here's what I see people do oftentimes. They come to our church, we'll be preaching the word, and for whatever reason, they they connect with it. Oh, I'm meeting with God. This is awesome. This is the word. Over a period of time, I see it time and time again. Some of you are sitting here. Here's what will happen with you. If you don't get involved in the small group, sharing your faith, being a part of missions, 
And if you don't get a part of that, what you will begin to do is even the preaching will become cold and you'll no longer begin to experience God. And what you'll begin to do is sit there and go, I need more. I need a church that has more. I need a church that offers more. And what you're doing is you're looking for something and you're looking to experience God either through more activities or through a more superior type of music or whatever it is. And God sits there and says, listen, the blessing of my presence in your life is not found by you manipulating things, but rather you submitting yourself as a disciple to me. Listen to me. The places and the times that I sense the presence of God is most is when I'm preaching God's word and when I'm studying God's word. How many times do I sit there either at home or at night or in the morning, early in the morning, I open up God's word and I have to push the thing back and I say, God, you're awesome. God, you're amazing. God, look at this. His presence is attached to that. The worship service is the same thing. Also in small group, let me tell you, again, messiness, but when we sit there and I serve other brothers and sisters Christ and I learn to die to self, you know what I feel? I feel the pleasure of God. I feel the presence of God in my life. When I sit there and I'm scared to death, this is sad to say as your pastor, when I'm scared to death to share the gospel with my neighbor, and and I'm disobedient time and time again, and then finally I'm like, today has got to be the day. And you go over there, and you go, brother, can I share some news with you today? And I make a massacre of it. You know what happens? I sense the presence of God. When I go to Ethiopia, or this year when we go to India with a group of guys that we're discipling right now, and we go there, and I'm sitting there, and we're in the sweat, and it stinks, and I can't eat the food, and I'm sick to my stomach. I'm sitting there and going, here's the presence of God. This is the presence of God. God reserves the blessing of his presence for those who are being faithful in those five essentials of discipleship. You say, do you have any biblical truth on that? Stop and think of two verses uh, of, of, and we're going late. Can I just have two more minutes, three more minutes? Listen, when he says there in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, actually you went too long. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, I'm joking. And he sits there and he says, go therefore to all the world to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you, then what is the promise at the end? What is the blessing at the end? And behold, I will be with you, even to the ends of the age. Acts 1.8 And you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You want to experience God? Be about being a disciple of God. That's where it's at. It's not about, hey, we need more stuff. When a person comes to me and says, we need more stuff, it's plain to me they're not doing the stuff. And so there's always a temptation for me as a pastor, and it has been for eight years. All right, let's get off course. Let's get off course. Let's go the other direction. But I can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't. You got to get a different pastor. I can't do it. 
I will stand before God and give an account for those essentials of making disciples before Jesus Christ. And here's what I want you to understand. You, my friend, will stand before God and give an account to how you ascribed and submitted yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ by following and those five essentials. But let me say one more thing. And this really is the last thing. Preachers lie a lot at the end of their sermon. Let me say this. This last aspect is that it's not as though to put you into fear that you have to stay in God and give an account for all those things there. Because what I want you to understand is some of you are already experiencing the discipline of God on your life now. If you sit there for some of you and you say, I, don't, I, I just don't feel God. He feels a million ways away. I'm not experiencing God. And I'm not just talking about an emotion. I'm just, you guys know what I mean by experiencing God when God is alive in your life? It's usually sometimes when things are going very bad for you, but you experience God in that. Here's what I want you to understand. Some of you are coming and you're part of corporate worship, sparingly, whatever it is, but you haven't learned how to study the word of God. We provided a way for that. All you have to do is see us. We'll, we'll hook you up with people. We've got that taken care of. You're still, after all this time of me preaching on missions, there's some of you who still have not even thought about going on a mission trip. Every week, every week, just about, we have a different mission trip, local mission trip that's happening here in this church. And yet, yet in, in the midst of all of this, in small groups happening everywhere, in the midst of all this, people will come and say, man, we just need some more stuff. And it's very clear, they're not a part of a small group. They're not a part of studying the word of God themselves. They're not being discipled. They're not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here's what I have to say. The Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 7, It says, if you know what to do is right and you do not do it, to you it is accounted sin. So really the discipline of God has already occurred in our church. It's not just that we're going to have to stand before God and give an account one day. The discipline has already come. The discipline is the fact that you're not experiencing that you're not experiencing uh, 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 the presence of God, you're not experiencing God because you still will not submit to the very basic essentials of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the only way for us is to sit there and to repent. And to sit there and say, I will do these things. I will be a part, God. I'm not trying to be legalistic. You could do all these things and still be lost as a dog in high weeds. But if you're doing it from a heart of worship to God and submission to God. You know why people don't like to do this? It's hard. You know what would be a lot easier? No offense, Ashley. But go into, just get a bunch of professional musicians or get something really cool, have people all come in, just really preach nothing, stand for nothing, just be able to do that. And everybody could come in and go, man, that was just awesome experience. And then them fooling themselves because they're truly not a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you this morning, will you, will you, as we seek to move forward and do a better job of providing a clear way of discipleship with you, will you, here's the question, Will you be obedient and join us? The biggest frustration that I have, and I can't do it. I can't make you do it. Oh, I wish I could make you do it. I wish I could make you. Can't. Only God and the move of the Holy Spirit can make these things happen. Jesus, we come to you this morning and we pray. God, I've gone way too long. But God, it's a message that needs to be understood by our folks. God, right now, even in our invitation, I am pleading with you, Jesus. 
that you would move in such a way in the hearts of the people here that they will sit there and say, God, I will take you up on your offer. I will do the things that you've called me to do. Oh, I so want to experience you, your power, your might, your presence. God, let us not be people who hold out one hand and say, give me the blessing of God, but with the other high hand in a fist say, but I will not do what you require of me. Will we repent this morning of that? God, let this altar even be flooded with people who sit there and go, God, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And even if they don't come where they are, I'll do it, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you please stand? The altar's open if you wanna come and pray about this, get your heart right before Jesus Christ, but would you do something with what's been said, all right?